Okay, good morning, everyone. Today we're reading from Sriman Bhagavatam. Om Ajnana Timarandasya Yananjana Samakaya Chakshurunitam Yena Tasmai Shri Guramena Shri Chaitanya Manobishtam Stavitam Yena Bhutale Svayam Bhutaramakyam Dadati Svapadantikam Vandeham Shri Guru Shri Yuttapadakamam Shri Guru Vaishnavamsa Shri Rupam Sagadatam Sahagana Raghunatam Vitam Tam Sajiyam Sadvaitam Savadutam Paridana Sahitam Krishna Chaitanya Devam Shri Radha Krishna Padam Sahagana Lalita Shri Vishakhanditam Nama Om Vishnu Padaya Krishna Prashtaya Bhutale Srimate Bhakti Vedanta Swamin Itinami Namaste Saraswati Deve Gauravani Pracharine Nirvishesha Shunyavari Paschatyadeshatari Vanchakalpataruyascha Viva Sindhuya Evacha Patitanam Pavanivyo Vaishnavivyo He Krishna Karana Sindhu Dinavando Jagatpate Gopesha Gopika Kanta Radha Kanta Namostate Tapta Kanchanagorahi Radhe Vrindavanishri Vishavanu Sate Devi Pranamami Hari Jai Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Shri Adrita Gadadhara Shri Vasari Gauravakta Vinda Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Narayanam Namaskritya Naram Chaganarottama Devin Saraswati Nyasa Tato Jayamudiraye Nashta Praeshvabhadreshu Nityam Bhagavata Sevaya Bhagavati Uttama Shloke Bhakti Bhavata Nishtiki Just testing it. So, we're reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 10, Chapter 28. Krishna rescues Nanda Maharaja. And uh, we have two verses, I believe it's verse 13, written here. Janovai, is that the verse? Yeah, so, first I'll read verse 12, and then 13 uh, has a longer, quite interesting purport. Um, let's, okay. Itisvanam sabhagavan vignaya kiladriksvayam sankalpa siddhayetesham kripayaitat 
achintayat, because he, the Lord, sees everything. Lord Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, automatically understood what the cowherd men were conjecturing, wanting to show his compassion to them by fulfilling their desires, the Lord thought as follows. Um, maybe I back up and uh, reread from yesterday's lecture uh, the verse 11 to get a little more context. <clears throat> or maybe even two verses. Nanda Maharaj had been astonished to see for the first time the great opulence of Varuna, the ruler of the ocean planet, ocean planet, <laughs> and also to see how Varuna and his servants had offered such humble respect to Krishna. Nanda described all this to his fellow cowherd men. Uh, the ocean planet. An ocean planet. That's what it says. Hearing about Krishna's pastimes with Varuna, the cowherd men considered that Krishna must be the supreme Lord, and their minds, O King, were filled with eagerness. They thought, Will the supreme Lord bestow upon us his transcendental abode? Uh, the verse uh, says, Api na svagatim sukshmang upadhasya adishvara. The word api uh, sometimes functions as a question word. Is it the case, or could it be, or is it so? Prabhupada translates it word for word as perhaps, perhaps Krishna is going to show us, is going to and reveal to us uh, his spiritual, his transcendental abode, which is referred to as sukshma. Uh, sukshma generally means subtle, as opposed uh, to gross. Uh, is he going to show us his subtle abode? Okay, and then um, they have this question, then Lord Krishna sees what they're thinking, why does he see? Because vigyaya kilatrik, he sees everything. <laughs> and then sankalpa siddhaye, um, seeing uh, their desire, the imagined desire, sankalpa siddha, <clears throat> uh, for revealing that kripaya, out of mercy, out of compassion, he wants to uh, do something for them, what does he want to do? Well, that will be shown a little later, but first we get an insight into the thinking of the Lord with this verse. Let's repeat. Jano vai loka etasmin Jano vai loka etasmin Avidya kama karma bhi. Avidya kama karma bhi. Avidya kama karma bhi. Avidya kama karma bhi. Uchava chasugatishu. Uchava chasugatishu. Naveda svam gating brahman. Naveda Svangating Brahman Naveda Svangating Brahman Jana, Jana. People Vai Certainly, Certainly. Loke In the world, world. Etasmin This, this. Avidya. Avidya Without knowledge, Without knowledge. Kama. Kama Because of desires Karma bhi, by activities. Uccha, 
among the superior, avachasu, and inferior, gatishu, destinations. Naveda does not recognize Swam his own gatim destination. Brahman wandering. Translation and purport by the followers of his divine grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Srila Prabhupada. Translation, Lord Krishna thought. Lord Krishna thought. <clears throat> Lord Krishna thought. Certainly people in this world are wandering among higher and lower destinations, which they achieve through activities performed according to their desires and without full knowledge. Thus, people do not know their real destination. Now, if you think about the context of this thinking of Krishna, you may feel it's a bit strange. He's just said before this that, or not the Lord, but uh, Shukadeva Goswami has said, out of compassion uh, for the gopas, for the residents of Vrindavan, he thought the following. What he thought was, certainly people in this world are wandering among higher and lower destinations which they achieve through activities performed according to their desires and without full knowledge. Thus people do not know their real destination. What? Why is he saying this? Why is he thinking this in relation to the gopas? Um, okay, purport. Srila Jiva Goswami has elaborately explained how this verse applies to the eternally liberated residents of Sri Vrindavan, the Lord's abode. Okay, so Jiva Goswami is going to help us. One of the fundamental philosophical principles of the Srimad Bhagavatam is the distinction between two types of illusion, yoga maya and mahamaya, the spiritual and material states of existence, respectively. Although Krishna is God, the omnipotent, omniscient, supreme being, his intimate associates in the spiritual world love him so much that they see him as their beloved child, friend, lover, and so on, so that their ecstatic love can transcend the boundaries of mere reverence. They forget that Krishna is the Supreme God of all the universes. And thus their pure, intimate love expands unlimitedly. One may consider their activities of treating Krishna as a helpless child, a handsome boyfriend, or a playmate, to be a manifestation of avidya, ignorance, of Lord Krishna's position as God. But the residents of Vrindavan are, in fact, ignoring the secondary majesty of Krishna and focusing intensely on his infinite beauty, which is the essence of his existence. Uh, the, the commentary, the purport continues, and as I said before, I, I think it's very helpful for us. So let us continue reading. First, we've understood uh, that there is this distinction, yoga maya, maha maya. Actually, <laughs> it's a little more complicated than that. Because sometimes the word yoga maya, the expression yoga maya, is used uh, for what we would understand to be maha maya in the Bhagavatam. And also in Bhagavad Gita, Naham Prakasha, Sarvasya Yoga Maya Samavrita. Krishna is saying, 
mudhoyam na avijanati, that the the fools, the mudhas, are covered how? By yoga maya. What? Yeah, that's what Krishna says in the Gita. In any case, let us continue. In fact, describing Lord Krishna as the Supreme Controller and God is almost a type of political analysis. Referring as it does to a hierarchy of power and control, such analysis of levels of power and hierarchies of rule is significant in a context in which one one entity is not fully surrendered in love to a higher entity. In other words, control becomes visible or is consciously felt as control when there is resistance to that control. To cite a simple example, a pious, law-abiding citizen sees a policeman as a friend and well-wisher whereas a criminal sees him as a threatening symbol of punishment. Those who are enthusiastic about government policies feel not that the government is controlling them, but rather that it is helping. Hmm. Thus, Lord Krishna is seen as a controller, that's in quotation marks, and hence as, quote, the Supreme God by those who are not fully enchanted by his beauty and pastimes. Those fully in love with Lord Krishna focus on his sublime, attractive features and because of the nature of their relationship with him, do not much notice his controlling power. A simple proof that the residents of Raja have transcended lower states of God-consciousness rather than failed to attain them is the fact that throughout the pastimes of the Lord they often remember, in quotation marks, that Krishna is God. Usually they are astonished at this remembrance, having been fully absorbed in seeing Krishna as their friend lover, and so on. The word kama is conventionally used to indicate a material desire, or else a spiritual desire so intense that it becomes somehow analogous to intense material desires. Still, the fundamental distinction remains. Material desire is selfish and self-gratificatory, Spiritual desire is free of selfishness, being holy for the pleasure of the other, the Lord. <clears throat> Thus, the residents of Vrindavan executed their daily activities solely for the pleasure of their <coughs> beloved Krishna. And here we might remember from the Chaitanya Charitamrita the distinction between Kama and Prima. Atmendriya priti vangsha tare vali kam, Krishnendriya priti icha dare premanana. Atmendriya priti, uh, the desire to satisfy one's own senses, that is kama. Krishnendriya, the senses of Krishna, uh, icha with the desire of satisfying them, the Lord's senses, that is prema. It should be remembered that the entire purpose of Krishna's descent into this world is to attract living beings back home, back to Godhead. Two things are required for this, that his pastimes display the beauty of spiritual perfection and that they somehow seem relevant and hence in interesting to the conditioned souls of this world. The Bhagavatam often states that Lord Krishna plays just like a youthful actor and he undoubtedly engages his eternal devotees in the dramatic presentation. Thus, 
Lord Krishna here muses to himself. So this is pointing specifically to the verse. Uh, Lord Krishna here muses to himself that people in this world certainly do not know their ultimate destination and with an obvious touch of the facetious, he also thinks in this way about his own eternally liberated associates who were playing in this world like ordinary members of a cowherd village. Apart from the double meaning obviously present in this verse when it is applied to Krishna's liberated associates, Krishna here makes an entirely direct and pointedly critical observation about ordinary people. When applied to conditioned souls who are actually wandering throughout the universe, his statement that people are acting out of ignorance and lust is not mitigated by any deeper spiritual meaning. People in general are simply ignorant, and they do not seriously consider their ultimate destination. As usual, Lord Sri Krishna is able to say many profound and complex things in a few simple words. How fortunate we are that God is not a dry field of energy, a transcendent, effulgent blob, or nothing at all, as various people would have it. In fact, he is the most wonderful personality of Godhead, full of absolute personal qualities, and certainly whatever we can do, we can do, sorry, and certainly whatever we can do, he can do better, as evidenced by his brilliant way of speaking. Hare Krishna. Mm -hmm. um, so, we have a verse uh, of the Lord musing. He's musing to himself. We get an insight into his musing. And this is going to lead to his bringing the cowherd uh, men uh, to uh, the um, to the lake in which uh, he is going to douse them under and he is going to reveal to them that spiritual world uh, Vaikuntha which uh, they have some inkling of having heard about Krishna's encounter with Varuna. And they're going to be amazed by this, and after some amazement, again they're going to forget, and they're going to get back to normal life of being completely absorbed in loving Krishna uh, as their friend, as their uh, as their love, as lo lover, as their master. <coughs> I happen to know that this is one of Kandamba Kanana Swami's favorite leelas, as I've heard him speak ever so, uh, so charmingly about this very leela in this very room. <laughs> um, I think I would like to focus at least uh, for some brief time on the previous verse, uh, because he sees everything. Vigyaya Kiladrik. Because he sees everything, Lord Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, automatically understood what the cowherd men were conjecturing, wanting to show his compassion to them by fulfilling their desires, the Lord thought as follows. So this Vigyaya Kiladrik, seeing everything completely, uh, it could be another way of saying that the Lord is omniscient. And omniscience is a, an attribute which is commonly attributed <laughs> to the Lord. Um, in standard, standard theology, there is um, something called 
perfect being theology. And in perfect being theology, uh, there are some basic attributes of the Lord which are uh, referred to. He, the Lord is all-powerful, omnipotent. He is omniscient, uh, all-knowing or all-seeing. Um, and uh, he is all-good. Typically, uh, these three features are mentioned. Sometimes a fourth is considered and debated, and that is uh, whether the Lord feels pain or not. Whether the Lord feels pain. Um, um, there's a technical term which is not coming to my mind at the moment. But this omniscience uh, is, of course, something uh, the Vaishnavas are quite comfortable with. It's interesting, perhaps, to note uh, that there is a tradition, not a Vaishnava tradition, in fact, um, considered uh, generally as a Nastika tradition, uh, the Jains who put a lot of emphasis, a lot of importance in the notion of omniscience. And curiously enough, they reject the idea that there is a supreme creator God. And so you may ask, so who is it who is omniscient? If not God, and their answer is, uh, first of all, the uh, 24 personages whom they celebrate as Tirthankaras, beginning with Rishabdeva. Rishabdeva, who we celebrate in the Bhagavatam, is also celebrated in the Jain tradition um, as the first of a cycle of 24 um, Tirthankaras. These are jivas who attain perfection. And one of the features of their perfection is that they become omniscient. And this omniscience, they say, is also potentially there for all jivas. That means, according to them, you can become omniscient. How do you become omniscient? You become completely and totally free from karma. That's all it takes. But that's not so easy. According to the Jains, uh, no one has attained this in the last couple of thousand years. Uh, Mahavira was their final of the 24 Tirthankaras, and one disciple of one of his disciples attained this perfection. Um, but enough about Jainism for now. <laughs> this is not a lesson in Jainism. <laughs> but it is uh, raising uh, questions what actually could be understood by omniscience. What could that mean? Now, in the particular verse, it's pretty straightforward. We understand uh, the Lord understands what it is that's in the mind of the gopas. Uh, that may be a rather limited understanding of knowing uh, of, of omniscience, because we understand that can also be attained by uh, a yogic siddhi. Uh, there are so many siddhis, and one of them is that one can read others' minds. Something which more or less every thoughtful person has to some degree uh, when you simply look at uh, others, someone else that you are speaking to, especially if you're giving a class and you see everybody with their eyes closed, you know something, you know something about what they're thinking. <laughs> when is he going to be finished with his class? 
But aside from that, uh, what does Krishna say in the Bhagavad Gita on this subject? Uh, he says, Vedaham samatitani vartam anani cha arjuna bhavishani cha bhutani mam tu veda na kaschana. He says, I know Veda aham samatitani bhutani. Uh, now, I'm going to make a sort of literal translation here. Prabhupada says in his translation, I know everything past, present, and future. Um, it seems to me a more literal translation would be, I know all beings, bhutani, samatitani bhutani, vartamanani bhutani, bhavishani bhutani. Sometimes uh, one word will be applied two or three times in the same verse, um, that I know all beings, past, present, and future. But this could raise another question for us. How is that to be understood, uh, considering that all beings are eternal? So what is this talk of past, present, and future? Well, when, when the word Buddha is used, it generally refers to a being in this world, a creation, a man of, uh, someone, um, born into this world. So, okay, the Lord is knowing all beings of the past, the present, and the future, and we know that he is also saying to Arjuna, I know all, all our lives of the past, and I, um, and you don't. You don't remember. Uh, so that's a distinction uh, Krishna makes, an essential distinction. Uh, but thinking about uh, how to comprehend omniscience of the Lord, an initial point might be, well, we can't comprehend it because we're not the Lord and we're not um, omniscient, so just forget about it. Um, but another way might be because the Acharyas, Jiva Goswami suggests that one way, an important way that we come to understand something about the Lord is by uh, contemplating ourselves. So is there some way that we might contemplate in a limited way this notion of omniscience. This is the question I want to raise. And I want to suggest, yes, there is a possibility. And how is, how am I going to, how am I going to do this? Very simply, um, probably all of you know how to ride a bicycle, right? Anyone not know how to ride a bicycle? We will embarrass you, right? <laughs> Everyone knows how to ride a bicycle. Uh, and it's not that you know how to ride only one bicycle. It's not that, oh, I learned to, to ride this one particular bicycle, but don't show me another bicycle because I won't know how to ride it. No, if you know how to ride one bicycle, you know how to ride basically all bicycles. If you know how to read this book, you also know how to read other books, and so on. We could take uh, various capacities that we have, various skills. And so from that, we might get a little inkling of how the Lord, being uh, perfect in his capacities, is perfectly able to do uh, whatever he desires in all circumstances. Now, another sort of theology which is sometimes uh, spoken about in recent decades is what's called process theology. Process theology was um, developed in the 20th century as the idea that, well, Yes, God is all perfect, but to say that he is perfect is really not to say that everything is um, com complete and perfect from time immemorial 
into time immemorial, past, present, future. Rather, uh, the perfection of God is that he actually unfolds, he develops, and he or she uh, develops this perfection over time in participation with human beings. That human beings are engaged together with God in unfolding the glory of God, if you like. So that's an interesting concept. And what we might want to say from a Vaishnava perspective is, yes, there is something like that understandable from a bhakti perspective. Because, why? Because the Lord responds to the desires of his devotees, isn't it? There is reciprocation, we understand, as a fundamental feature of God, that he unfolds his, um, his desires in concert with the desires of the devotees. And one example of this we might consider um, sort of jumping out of the Bhagavatam into Chaitanya Charitamrita in anticipation of tomorrow, which is, I think, Chaitanya Charitamrita class, yes. Um, and also um, drawing on the notion that the Lord makes plans. The Lord, many times we speak about, oh, this is, this must be the plan of the Lord or this must be Krishna's arrangement, or Śrīla Prabhupāda would often say, uh, so this is our plan, now let us see what is Krishna's plan. He, he's, he's, he doesn't want to close off what the Lord's plan, which is already there, uh, he wants to say, now let us see, let us be open to what is the Lord's plan. So we hear a lot about uh, the Lord's plan. So, um, in the Chaitanya Charitamrita, we have references to plans of the Lord. In fact, we can say the whole Chaitanya Charitamrita is an unfolding of the Lord's plan, which is described uh, in the beginning chapters of Adi Lila, where the Lord is reflecting, he's musing, he's saying uh, this... Um, you know, being God all the time in opulence, uh, this, this is kind of boring. Uh, this is, uh, I, I, I want to experience, uh, something richer. I want to experience, uh, the devotion of the devotees and so on. He makes this plan, but he also makes a plan, um, in the Bhagavatam that's referred to, um, in, 11th canto, he makes a plan to depart the world. And then we understand, yes, the, the Lord is making plans all the time, but his plans must be in reciprocation uh, with the desires, with the plans of his devotees. So one plan of one of his devotees is Balabhadra Bhattacharya, while Lord Krishna, sorry, while Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is together with him in Vrindavan. Balabhadra Bhattacharya makes a plan that uh, he's going to bring Chaitanya Mahaprabhu out of Vrindavan. <laughs> Mahaprabhu has been planning to go to Vrindavan for years. And so many obstacles were there, and he finally manages to go to Vrindavan. Uh, and what happens when he gets to Vrindavan? Two things happen. One is he becomes so, he becomes too much overwhelmed with ecstatic, excuse me, emotions. Too much in the sense that it becomes dangerous to himself. He is sometimes diving into the Yamuna River. He is forgetting that he's underwater, and so he needs to be rescued by Balabhata Bhattacharya. That's one problem. And the other problem is 
so many people are coming to see the Lord. And Balabhadra says, I'm going crazy with all these people coming to see you and I have to manage them. It starts early in the morning. They're coming and they're saying, we want to see uh, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. We want to invite him for lunch. Uh, we want to, you know, we want to benefit from his association. Balabhadra gets, as we would say, fried. <laughs> and so he makes a plan, and the plan is, which he discusses with the other devotees, let's, let's induce Lord Chaitanya to leave Vrindavan. And when they finally, when he finally gets up what we call the gumption uh, to present his case to Lord Chaitanya, Lord Chaitanya says, sure, no problem. Uh, I'm happy to leave, I'm not happy to leave Vrindavan, but I will leave Vrindavan uh, because you have been so kind to bring me here, you have been so kind to have me, to take care of me here. Uh, I want to, I must reciprocate your kindness. So if it is your desire now to leave Vrindavan, so I will leave. So that desire of Lord Chaitanya was to simply settle. It was simply to forget everything and just be in Vrindavan. But uh, his devotees said, uh, no, <laughs> it's not working. Uh, it's not what, it's anyway not what you wanted. You wanted to be peaceful in Vrindavan and there's no peace here. Kind of like today in Vrindavan. <laughs> the, you know, it's packed with people. Um, so, this is one example of the plan of the Lord. And what I just want to say is, I find it fascinating that in our understanding of uh, what is devotion, that the Lord's, it, it's not what we see in uh, sort of the debates of classical theology that does God have foreknowledge, you know, of, of everything? Well, yes, but no. <laughs> the Lord, uh, the, actually, the Lord likes to be surprised. And the biggest surprise for the Lord uh, is when conditioned souls determine, resolve, I'm going to surrender to the Lord. Uh, that's a very nice surprise. The Lord likes that, that kind of surprise. Um, so that is, uh, I think, one way of understanding. There is um, omniscience of the Lord, and that omniscience we can partially understand in a very small way by thinking about our own capacities over time uh, to do a variety of things, all kinds of things that we're able to do um, in all kinds of circumstances. And we can then apply that to our devotional service. And we can say, I can do all sorts of devotional service for the Lord. Sarvopadivinirmuktam tatparatvena nirmalam rishikena rishikesha sevena the Lord's senses are all present, we understand. Angani yasya sakalendri If we think we're not being seen by the Lord, it could be that we are being heard or, dare I say, smelled, uh, or that he is seeing with his ears, he is, and so on, the uh, interchangeability. Uh, the synesthesia of the Lord's senses are there in all these circumstances. The devotee becomes expert in serving the Lord in all circumstances, seeing no obstacles to serving the Lord. And that becomes a kind of participation in the Lord's omniscience. Hare Krishna. So with that um, strange 
wandering of reflections on um, theological themes. Huh? Would you like to add something, Marius? Yes. Good. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was that, uh, that force. That was the fourth uh, factor that sometimes is mentioned, the word experiencing all pain. How would that be relevant to uh, Vaishnavism? Um, ah, yes. Well, that is sometimes, it is sometimes said that the Lord, the only pain he feels is the pain of his devotees. That um, because the Lord is is existing in his internal potency, uh, which is an ever-expanding blissful potency. He is not experiencing his bahiranga shakti. That is external, and so he doesn't he doesn't deal with it. He doesn't he doesn't bother with it. But uh, he does feel the pain of his devotees who are, they are part of his internal an antaranga shakti. That is what makes them his devotees. That is their qualification. They are tatasta shakti in some sense, but as soon as they turn to the Lord, then they are uh, within the antaranga shakti. And so, and there, the devotees feel pain. What specifically is their pain? Their pain is the, the sadness, the pain that there are souls that are forgetful of the Lord. And so they become the agents of the feeling agents, if you like. They're the, they're the feeling agents for the Lord. Uh, in the material energy. They, the devotees go into the material energy, um, into the material world, where they then uh, rescue the conditioned souls, and they do this on behalf of the Lord. And in that um, working relationship, the Lord remains, in a certain sense, aloof, and in a certain sense, uh, very much involved. So when the Lord says, Tesham eva anukam partam aham agyana jam tama nashayam yatma bhavasto vyana dipena vasvata, uh, that <clears throat> anukampa, uh, that literally ongoing shaking, <laughs> Uh, translated as compassion, that compassion of, of the Lord, as I understand, it's uh, indicating particularly uh, for the devotees. Or, if you take it otherwise, he is feeling that compassion through his devotees. That's my understanding, but perhaps you can give a what about the pain of separation? Uh, Does the Lord feel the pain of separation? The pain of separation, he, he feels that as a devotee, right? He comes as Lord Chaitanya to feel that. Does he feel the pain of separation as Krishna? That is a question for someone who is better qualified than I to answer. <laughs> <laughs> But, for example, in Vidakta Manana, it uh -huh. says that he's in the forest, and very much that Lord Krishna is in the forest, very much afflicted by, by feelings of separation from ah, Sivatamarana. So, so there you have it. Srila Rupa Goswami is to the rescue. Thank you. <laughs> yes. I've been, uh, the one reason I've been a little bit. Uh, preoccupied, so to say, with uh, the more formal theological questions is because I've been asked to write a chapter for a book uh, that's being going to be published, a collection of articles 
on Vaishnava theology, and it's specifically uh, focused on theology. What do Vaishnavas understand theologically about the nature of God? Um, we sometimes claim that, we usually claim, uh, that we are monotheists. But a Western monotheistic tradition theologian will say, Huh? What kind of monotheist are you? Look at your altar. <laughs> How many gods do we see there? <laughs> right? So this kind of question comes up. And uh, so the book is going to discuss, uh, there will be different scholars discussing mm, theological questions from the various Vaishnava traditions, including the Gaudiya Vaishnava tradition. And I've been asked to write an article specifically on Srila Prabhupada's presentation of Gaudiya Vaishnava. And so the first question is, does he, does he add anything uh, ad additional to what our acharyas have already said? Um, Srila Rupa Goswami, Srila Jiva Goswami, and so on. And so um, what, what I came up with uh, is the emphasis of Srila Prabhupada that uh, the Supreme Lord is the Supreme Teacher, the Supreme Perfect Teacher. And on the basis uh, of that understanding, Prabhupada preaches Bhagavad Gita, and he preaches it very literally, because he takes Krishna as speaking the Bhagavad Gita. <laughs> and so this, I believe, will uh, be of relevance and interest for, uh, for the scholars. So, yes, the Lord is the supreme teacher, and he is as such, what is he teaching? He is teaching, we can say, uh, Krishna Prema. And so how he's teaching, then we can discuss how Srila Prabhupada uh, takes that, uh, that kernel idea and expands it to become the Krishna consciousness movement as application and practice of the teaching. Uh, in which everyone becomes a potential teacher representing the original teacher. That's the idea. You are frowning, sir. No, you're not frowning. You're reflecting. Good. <laughs> okay. How do you say any? Yes, Cornetus. About the, the pain, because I think it's a whole meditation. But uh, I was thinking about this verse in Bhagavad Gita where uh, the passion in the mode of ignorance actually is uh, not good because actually you afflict pain to the Paramatma who is situated in the heart. Hmm. So you could say yeah. something about it? Yeah, that's interesting. Um, hmm. Have to think about that. Um, meanwhile, the word came to me finally: impassable. The Lord is impassable. Impassable. That's that's the term. Yeah, for the Lord is not affected by pain. Yeah. So, okay. Um, what comes to my mind just now is the the Lord as Paramatma is present in all bodies. Now, if, let's say, I start practicing some uh, tapas in the mode of ignorance where I, you know, I fast too long. <laughs> Actually, when I was, somehow when I'm here, I also remember the time I was in Amsterdam many years ago many moons ago, many decades ago. And 
At that time, I had an idea that I should eat less. So I was eating less, and I was eating less. And then one day, one day, well, I guess, I guess the Paramatma was not satisfied with my eating less. <laughs> because one, one day, I, my nose was bleeding in the temple. And somehow it was understood that's happening because I'm eating not enough. So the temple president came to me and he said, Krishna Kshetra, we're going to give you a new uh, eating regime. From today, for the next two weeks, every day, you are going to eat ten peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. <laughs> Why peanut butter and jelly, you may ask? <laughs> uh, because the temple president at that time was an American. Americans live on peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. So, um, can can, okay, that's an interesting question, Paramatma. We'd have to see what Jiva Goswami says on that topic um, in his Paramatma Sandarva, which is something which I have yet to properly study. But I would say it's very likely that he says something there on the subject. Um, and I would leave that as an open question rather than speculating. But I would, I would say that Paramatma, in my body as I'm trying to eat too little, may be in some sense affected, but this is not affecting Paramatma in your body, right? Mm -hmm. So in that sense, we may be able to say impassable. Thank you. Yes. At the beginning of the class, there was the, what is the water planet, the runa? The, the ocean, ocean planet. planet. Yes, yes. I knew someone was going to come back and say, <laughs> where is this ocean planet? It's always some point when some, somebody asks, where is this ocean planet? Is that what you're going to ask? Yeah, I mean, I was going to ask along the lines of, of uh, yeah, since you're presenting Bhagavatam in theological circles, etc. And mm -hmm. yeah, presenting such things, it's not, you know, it's not the last, uh, yeah, thing that we come across and we, uh, you know, kind of like think twice about it. Yeah. And how do you, how would you go about explaining things like that? <laughs> well, the first thing is I wouldn't make this the first point in my <laughs> preaching. Did you know that there is? an ocean planet. And if you don't believe it, just read the Veda. It's in Veda. Veda is all knowledge. Um, okay, one point to be made is Prabhupada would often translate, if not, you know, he would often translate the word loka as planet. Uh, but the word loka can have a broader sense of simply location or locus, or realm, uh, you can say it's a, a, a place. Um, the English word lo, uh, location, or locus, uh, that, the Latin word locus, uh, is, it's all cognate from loca. Um, and so I would see it that way. Um, but beyond that, let there be an ocean planet and let us say we are not uh, going to um, we're not going to jump to the conclusion that because we don't see it uh, or haven't um, heard about it that it cannot exist. Um, if there can be a fire planet, why not an ocean planet? <laughs> That would be one way of approaching it. Another way of approaching would just be, uh, you know, 
don't worry about planets, whether they are oceans or fire planets or any other kind of, of planets. Let's not worry about planets just now. Here we are on this planet, and on this planet we have a problem. And what is the problem? Janma mrityu jaravyadhi dukkha dosha anudarshanam. If we can become, if we can have this as an anudarshanam, an ongoing awareness that these are the problems of this world, then we're well on our way to understanding about other planets. I would put it like that, yeah. Is that okay? Forget about ocean planets for now. <laughs> yes. Thank you for a very nice class. Um, I found the point interesting about uh, Krishna making plans. Because why does he have to make plans if he knows the future, but he also knows his own future? So it seems like he's stealing from his future self uh, the plan. And then I was thinking, if he knows then everything also about himself, how can he be surprised? Because surprise needs an aspect of not knowing. And then you mentioned that we can surprise him if we surrender. Mm -hmm. But we as a soul are also him. We are part of him and he knows himself. So he also knows what choice the jiva is going to make. Right? Indeed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is a problem. <laughs> it just, it points, it, I think it ultimately points back to the inconceivability of the Lord, um, such that uh, we also understand that the Lord, His awareness of Himself is also always expanding. Um, where is that mentioned? I've read that, but it, it's certainly the case. Um, first of all, let's take from the imper completely impersonal side, the word Brahman. Brahman uh, uh, the absolute, the impersonal. Uh, this word Brahman suggests in itself always expanding, uh, that the, oh, that the oh, at absolute truth is expanding. So it's dynamic. Um, and uh, we have, for example, Vishnu, uh, not Vishnu, uh, King Kulashekar, is it? Uh, saying, uh, that Navanavarasa, he wants to contemplate the ever fresh rasa of the spiritual world. Uh, that the, the Lord's pastimes are ever fresh, which suggests that they are also fresh for Krishna. Now, uh, one way of understanding this, that our acharyas and, uh, yes, the Rupa Sukadeva Goswami understands this, is in terms of uh, this mm, yoga maya. Yoga maya seems to be kind of the, uh, the uh, what's the word? It's, it's the answer to everything. <laughs> to everything contradictory. So it's, it's, we understand that when Mother Yashoda uh, is chasing after Lord Krishna, little Krishna, uh, because he has broken, because he's made trouble um, with, with yogurt and so on, uh, that he's, he's crying. And uh, we understand from Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur, that he, Krishna, is really afraid. He's really, he's not just making a show. And how is it that he's really afraid? Ding! Yoga Maya! <laughs> it's Yoga Maya. And I would say this is this is God's genius. Uh, imagine, if you will, 
Maybe you don't want to, but imagine for a moment that you are God. You know everything, past, present, and future. That's going to be pretty boring. <laughs> and so, and that's again, um, Chaitanya Charitamrita, uh, Lord Krishna is reflecting like that. Everyone is worshipping me for my opulences, my aishvarya. <laughs> I want to experience uh, the uh, nectar of devotion. And so he, he appears as Lord Chaitanya. So yeah, this point of, uh, of uh, you've said it very nicely that... Uh, Plans and surprise and expectation, all these things, they seem to collide with each other. Uh, the word, I was going to um, look at a verse, but I won't go into it. The word chikirshitam comes up a few times in the Bhagavatam. It's the desiderative form of the verbal root kri, which means to do, to act, to make. Karma, we have this word, chikirshitam, uh, is desired, is wanted, is planned. Prabhupada sometimes translates it as planned. So the Lord plans. He plans and you could say he's planning to make arrangements which will be so wonderful that even he will be surprised. <laughs> that is Krishna. <laughs> yes. Okay, on that note, thank you all so much. Have a wonderful day. Shiva Prabhupada ki ja, Grantara Shimad Bhagavatam ki ja, Gaur Brahmi.